0: You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, I speak with Patricia Aberdeen. Patricia is one of the world's leading social forecasters and the author of the book and Sounds True Audio program of the same name, Megatrends 2010. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Patricia and I spoke about the rise of conscious capitalism, living your spiritual values at work, and what she calls the spiritual transformation of capitalism. Here's my conversation with Patricia Aberdeen. Patricia, here you are, the Megatrends writer. And one of the great things is that the Megatrends books that you've written, you can then look back and see if the predictions you made, if the trends that you spotted were actually true or not. So here we have the book Megatrends 2010. And We're halfway through the year, 2010. What do you think? The trends that you identified, are they real? Have they
1: happened? Well, Megatrends 2010 was primarily about one megatrend, which was the rise of conscious capitalism. Uh, And in the book I talk about seven different trends that together constitute uh, conscious capitalism. I have to say that if you were to look at the newspaper uh, for the first half of 2000 and 2009 and back into 2008, I could understand if you might see have a fair amount of skepticism as the financial world was brought to its knees by the subprime crisis and the credit derivatives and all the rest. You might have a fair amount of skepticism towards my theory. But I think what's happening... Is this conscious capitalism is absolutely rising, but it is a very different trend from the parallel and contradictory trend of the fall of unconscious capitalism. So, as millions and millions of people all around the world expand their consciousness, what we're finding is that for a critical mass of humanity, our financial structures remain bonded to the unconscious past. And we actually, as we expand our consciousness, we are accelerating the demise of unconscious capitalism. So, we're right on track, as paradoxical as that might sound. And the conscious companies um, that have come forward with an agenda beyond just making money, an agenda to contribute something to the world to honor all of their constituents, are the ones that are faring best today in um, a relatively adverse financial climate. So yes, I think we're on target.
0: When I look at it, and granted this isn't looking at statistics, it seems to me that the rise of conscious capitalism is more like a mini trend than a mega trend in terms of the numbers of people who are part of such a movement and who care about it. First of all, just what makes something a mega-trend versus a mini-trend?
1: Well, a mega-trend is a direction in which we're moving in a society. It could be a political direction, economic, um, technological, demographic, even spiritual. And I think conscious capitalism, in the case of conscious capitalism, it, it contains all of those labels, Uh, It's a matrix of many different kinds of forces that come together around the notion of the revitalization of business. And so I do think it's a megatrend. A megatrend doesn't have to be so large that we're hit over the head with it. In many cases, a megatrend develops slowly and gradually, and it's below the radar so that it's just below mass consciousness. And as it accelerates and gains traction, if you have some warning, if you have some sense that this is coming and you've adjusted yourself, adjusted yourself to maximize it, you're set and you're positioned well to take advantage of this mega trend just as it hits mainstream consciousness. And if the numbers of conscious companies might not be as many as you perceive it to be. And I would actually disagree with that. I I think that when Amy Dominey, the founder of Dominey Social Investments, 10 years ago went through the S&P 500 to examine companies that met her criteria for social responsibility, about half of them succeeded. So I actually think that there are hundreds of Fortune 500 companies who, in fact, do practice some aspect of conscious capitalism. So getting back to finishing up the definition of of a megatrend, slow to develop, once in place, almost impossible to, to turn around. And so if you know that megatrend is coming, you have a strategic advantage.
0: When is the megatrend of conscious capitalism going to rise to a level where we can say it's here.
1: I think we can say that it's here now. I think that with people growing increasingly discouraged by unconscious capitalism, the need for conscious capitalism is on everyone's mind. We literally know. I mean, the word sustainable is is perhaps most associated with the environmentalist movement. But boy, if we ever needed evidence that finance needs to be sustainable, it needs to be built on a firm footing, it's now. Everywhere that we look in the newspaper are the ramifications, the unconscious ramifications, because people chose not to be conscious of it. I'm not using the term unconscious capitalism as a judgmental term. I'm using it as a term of definition. When you choose not to be conscious of the ramifications of your actions, that's unconsciousness by definition. What it's going to mean to us, we can't continue on this path of unconscious capitalism. So the need for conscious capitalism and the desire to look around and find the examples and the compass to find what it needs to look like is truly there. So I, I think you can say conscious capitalism is in here, it is here. Is it on Wall Street? No, not yet. Uh, is it in most of the S&P 500? I would argue you yes, more than 50%, more than when Amy Dominey looked at it.
0: You know, I think most people have an intuitive sense of what unconscious capitalism is, but how do you define conscious capitalism and what's the criteria
1: that you use? Well, I think there are basically three criteria that define a conscious capitalist. First of all, they are committed to the stakeholder model of business. That is to say, they certainly honor shareholders as well, but they honor all the stakeholders, the shareholders. The invest—that is to say, the investors—very important. But so are the employees, extremely important. So are the customers. If you don't have a customer, you don't have a business. If you don't have great relationships with your suppliers, they might not be there for you when you need them. Uh, the community you live is in is important. At ultimately, the planet as a whole, and certainly the environment. Um, so these are the, these are they're committed to all the constituents, and all the stakeholders, not just the shareholders. I think uh, traditional capitalism, shareholders are first and foremost, first among all else. So that's the first factor. The second factor is that conscious capitalists, while they may very much look forward to uh, having profits, earning profits, they want to earn them by having a purpose that is larger than simply making money. They, maybe they want to make a difference in the world, or maybe they just want to create a fantastic product that their customers like so much that they stand in line to buy it. That's a purpose, even though it might not be a, a highfalutin purpose. So they have a purpose that's beyond making money. And finally, they have a time horizon that is longer than most businesses do. They they look at things in a long-term way, not quarter to quarter. The Wall Street mentality, we've got to make money this quarter, or they'll sell our stock if we don't. We'll, we got to make money by any means necessary. And that's what's gotten us into so much trouble from the dot-com crash through the subcrime crash and all of the rest.
0: Now, you made an interesting comment early in our conversation that from your research, businesses that are committed to be conscious capitalist businesses, according to the criteria you, you've just laid out, actually perform better.
1: Yeah. What are the statistics to back that up? Well, there's been a host of studies, actually, that back that up. I mean, it started with the global consulting firm Towers Perrin, which studied companies that excel at stakeholder relationships. Uh, This was over a 15-year period. So again, this is that longer time horizon. They studied um, 25 companies. These were companies like Coca-Cola, Southwest Airlines, Procter & Gamble. And over that period, these companies outperformed the S&P 500 by 126%. More recently, there's a fantastic study. It's in the book, Firms of endearment, and it studied 28 conscious capitalists. This was over a 10-year period, and they discovered these findings are so extraordinary. I mean, it's, it, you really definitely need to be able to point to the research studies to back this up. These 28 conscious capitalist companies, during this 10-year period, their their stock rose eleven hundred percent whereas the s&p 500 the stock rose a hundred percent so they beat the s&p 500 by eleven fold extraordinary now you know
0: i started sounds true 25 years ago and there was nothing in my awareness that said if we live according to these values we'll be more profitable and more successful that wasn't important to me what was important to me was to simply uh have a life that I could live. And yet it seems like the kinds of statistics that you're sharing here could potentially be very compelling to other business people who perhaps might be thinking, you know, I'm only going to do this if it guarantees a greater return.
1: Well, of course, you can never guarantee a greater return. I mean, to be fair, You know, everything's about our mindset, our belief systems. If you have a belief system that says you've got to be a a son of a gun to succeed in business, you know, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe that was right. I don't know. But I know that today it's not right. That today the evidence shows that if you have a higher purpose, if you honor the stakeholder model, you have at least an equal playing field at the very least, and probably much more, to, to be successful. And I agree with you. That could be very inspiring to people. And uh, I, I think it's great. And when you talked about what you and Sounds True, I mean, you had a mission. You had a purpose, which was to deliver the messages of the teachers that you recorded, them, that you created audio products for, to people, so that they could grow as human beings. I mean, that's a purpose. Yeah. And that's that purpose, has has it not been absolutely essential to your success all the way? Yeah. Well, what do you think it is
0: about businesses that are committed to conscious capitalism that helps them perform
1: better in the marketplace? There is something that I didn't write about in Megatrends 2010 that is a really important part of uh, my new business book. I'm actually writing two books now, <laughs> a book for individuals and a book for businesses and that is the notion of employee engagement. We've had this notion of the heroic, charismatic CEO who parachutes into the company, waves a magic wand, that is to say, you know, cuts 10,000 jobs, does a high-profile merger that's going to be hard to impossible to execute, and uh, uh, becomes the hero of the day, and the stock goes up on Wall Street, and blah, 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 blah. But I'm finding lots of evidence that that just doesn't work anymore. First of all, uh, there was a story in the Wall Street Journal that um, massive job cuts lead to reduced uh, profits and revenues for up to nine years after a recession. Uh, we're questioning these things. We're questioning all, all this notion that you do if you're a public company, of course, and we're in, in this particular case we're talking about larger public companies, that Uh, Acquisitions and mergers actually destroy shareholder wealth. Meanwhile, there's the little mini trend of employee engagement. Towers Perrin studied 360,000 employees from many, many different, uh, obviously companies, but also countries, and discovered that the companies that where people were engaged created 19% more profit and that, in fact, where people were disengaged and apathetic about work, profit levels dramatically fell. And so I think one thing, one way that we can we can attempt to analyze the, the continued financial success of conscious capitalism is that it inspires people. It inspires people. And your profits are being created by the people who work at your company. Uh yeah, you know, you can do a fancy uh acquisition to juice up the quarterly profits, but that stuff doesn't last. What lasts is people being inspired and there are all these, you know, we talk about spirituality in business, you know, Tammy, it's there are all these invisible invisible factors, you know, which I think you and I might consider somewhat spiritual factors. How motivated are the people in a in a company? How ethical is the company? How creative and connected to universal consciousness is the R&D department? I mean, all of these so-called invisible factors play an enormous role in the success of a company. And, you know, we're talking about conscious capitalism. My brand of conscious capitalism always involves the spiritual part, the consciousness of people. Some people think of conscious capitalism as merely social responsibility. That's inadequate to my mind to describe the complexity of the matrix of which social responsibility is an enormously important factor, but so is the genius of human consciousness. Every great product that's ever been created from a, you know, Herman Miller Aeron chair to an Apple iPad to a, a Tata nano, nano car. Um, It all came through human consciousness. And that's an aspect of the spiritual part of business, for me, anyway.
0: Well, the final section of Megatrends 2010 is about the spiritual transformation of capitalism. So what do you mean by that, first of all? What is the spiritual transformation of capitalism?
1: It's this notion of the invisible factors, as as I've talked about. It's this notion um, that we... Humans are growing our consciousness at an amazing level, a planetary level, all over the world. And somehow we need a financial system to match our growing consciousness. So rather than continuing to bang our head against a stone wall and and look at the financial debacle of unconscious capitalism, we need to infuse our financial system and our corporations with the level of consciousness to which we have evolved. And that's why capitalism needs to transform into conscious capitalism. And as it does, and as you know, I believe it is happening every single day that that we face some of that really negative news. As that happens, capitalism will have been spiritually transformed by the consciousness by the spirituality of its followers how can spirituality possibly be compatible with business i have a very simple answer because people are the inhabit the businesses and you know you can't draw a, a line in the sand and say okay you have to be a robot in this corporation. Oh, they've tried. God knows they've tried since the Industrial Revolution. But it just doesn't work. People live their values wherever they are, be that you know, at the checkout counter or uh, in the meditation room. It seems, though, that there's this collective belief,
0: and I say that because I, I feel it in, in myself as well, that says, you know, if you want to make money, don't really bring all those spiritual values with you. That's fine. That's fine to express that in your free time. But if you want to make money, you better not be the nice guy. Nice guys finish last. And yet here you are, you're presenting an alternate perspective that says actually companies that honor all of their stakeholders and and have a sense of a real purpose actually fare better in the marketplace. But what I'm pointing to is this collective belief, still this kind of collective belief that if you're going to be successful in business, you better be able to kind of go down to the mat
1: and win the negotiation, something like that. That's a recipe for absolute disaster in business, in my my opinion. Yes, it is part of our collective belief system. You've identified it perfectly. And yet, there's a whole spiritual tradition That talks about prosperity consciousness, or that talks about um, how your positive thoughts and your positive emotions and your generous deeds are exactly what attracts success to you. And, you know, you, you think of it, you know, I believe we're watching with, you know, the cartoon of what you just described is Wall Street. You know, those are the people who have got to win the negotiation that growl and that, you know, they they use that hostility and that anger to fuel the fires of of their notion of success. And yet we're watching that that whole thing kind of crash and burn, you know, Citigroup, for example, made billions and billions and billions of profit during the heyday of the subprime. Uh, mortgage crisis and the credit derivatives and all, all the rest of that. And then the tide turned. They didn't do anything really different. The tide turned. The environment became inhospitable to those kinds of of financial manipulations. And they proceeded to lose every billion that they had had earned over a probably about an 18 to 24 month period, wiped out. I mean, that's the definition of unsustainable financial activity. And so for me, any kind of financial activity that's that's born of um, the kind of, of ultra competitive, you know, screw somebody else before they screw you, philosophy is doomed to failure. So it's still around, there's no question. But The conscious capitalists that we know of on the S&P 500, the kind of corporate good guys that everybody knows about uh – the Googles of the world, the Costcos of the world. Costco's a great example. We've got one right down the road from us where we're sitting right now. You know, they beat Walmart at their own game, and Walmart's coming around a bit in terms of the environment, but they still haven't set any records on their labor policies. Costco, from the very beginning, has been this benevolent company, and they have fared very, very well. I mean, long term, I think their business will probably... Surpass Walmarts in terms of profitability and in terms of viability because it's based on goodwill. If encouraged, <laughs> I could come up with many more different case studies that illustrate that our, our belief systems are, are um, out of kilter with modern business realities, that good guys do finish first. When they have sound business principles, you know, you can't just be a, a good guy who's just a, a, a dummy sure. and doesn't hasn't mastered the basics of business. But I think that that goodwill is the invisible consciousness that literally transforms into greater success and profit and sustainable success. Big difference between sustainable profit, sustainable success, and the unsustainable variety.
0: Mhm. Now in this section on the spiritual transformation of capitalism, one of the calls, if you will, a kind of clarion call that you put out is that we need to melt the firewall between personal and organizational spirit. And I think this is a, is a really interesting point. You know, I was just talking to somebody here who works at Sounds True and we were talking about his personal love life and stuff and he's saying you know i'm finally willing to be forward when i date women about what a spiritual cat i am <laughs> and i haven't really wanted to talk about it mm. and i said you know you, you know coming forward with our spirituality is a kind of coming out of the closet.
1: Absolutely. And so here
0: we're talking about someone who works, it sounds true, and we're talking about in the context of his love life but yeah. back to the topic of yeah. coming forward in business coming forward and saying that my spiritual values are what matter the most to me this firewall does exist I think people think this is not appropriate in a business environment how do we melt the firewall? How do individuals do it? People who may be listening to this who aren't you know, at the C-level, aren't CEOs or COOs of companies? What can they do? Well, I think
1: that if you don't feel comfortable talking about your spiritual values, that's perfectly fine because there's something that you can do that is a heck of a lot more powerful than that. And that is living them by example. And um, that actually reminds me of another chapter uh, called Leading from the Middle, because people say, well, how can you possibly lead from the middle if you're just a middle manager and you don't have any power or a team leader or whatever? You lead by your moral authority. You lead by the informal authority that you hold. That is to say the respect that, um, that your peers hold for you so that you can live your spiritual values. You, you can live... You're just plain human values, and it's a more powerful message. And you may find that if you if you do live them, people live a, a kind of generous spirit, a kind of kindness to your co-workers, a sense of justice. Um, you, you might find them asking you about it, and then maybe you'll feel more comfortable talking about it if they ask you. Can you
0: give a specific example of how someone in a business cultivates this kind of informal authority I
1: don't know that you can cultivate it I think that your peers grant it to you when you live your truth in business when you espouse your values in business people just respect you they they respect you as a leader uh, without the formal authority is the job title. You're the VP of sales, or you're the CEO, or what, whatever you are. Informal authority is, oh, everybody goes to Susie whenever there's a problem, because she's the one who seems to be able to have, who seems to have a good relationship with everybody, and she can sort it all out. So you live your strengths, you live your abilities at work, and you live your spiritual values at work, and th- that's how you merit it. That's how you come to merit the approval of your peers the respect of your peers.
0: So when you say to melt the firewall, you're not necessarily saying that people suddenly start talking about spirituality while they're
1: at work. You're, you're
0: saying something different.
1: For some people, I think plenty of people actually do simply talk about their spirituality at work more and more. You know, people share about their personal life at work. What are you going to do this weekend? Oh, I'm going to this meditation seminar Saturday morning, then I'm going to the lake in the afternoon, or, you know, th- these kinds of conversations probably do take place in the most mundane business establishments around. It's a question of of what somebody feels comfortable with. Some people will be, w- will want to talk about their spirituality, or, you know, sometimes you meet somebody and you just go, you just know, now, this is especially among women, they say something, don't you think people kind of psych each other out? You know, like, um, drop a little hint and see if the person follows up, and then the next thing you know, you go, "Oh, you read that book too? You 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 liked Eckhart Tolle too? You know, you read you read his book? You know, that that kind of thing happens too. But there are some people who don't feel comfortable talking about that, and you should always do, you know, what you feel feel comfortable with. One of my favorite companies is my bank, Wainwright Bank in um, in Washington D.C., and this is a company that is. Half of their loan portfolio, commercial loan portfolio, goes to nonprofits. And they've never had one default. I mean, people would think, oh, that's not going to be good for business. They've never had one default from this company. And they are... um, very big on social justice. They're very big on gay rights, for example. But their president said to me, you know, we don't make a big deal about it. And we certainly don't force some people don't want to talk, they don't want to talk about gay rights. And if that's what they don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But that's what we do in this company. And we don't force anybody else to talk about it, or to march in a parade or anything else. It's a quiet, you know, it can be kind of a quiet way of dealing with things.
0: So I want to make sure I understand what you mean by the spiritual transformation of capitalism. Is what you're saying that we take the kind of consciousness that's growing in the culture about our collective unity, about our shared fate, and we insist that our economic system be coherent with that? Is Only
1: that- if we want to prosper. Because what we're seeing with the financial crises that are happening more and more frequently. We're not supposed to have three meltdowns in a decade. I mean, we're supposed to have maybe one meltdown in a decade. The financial crises are coming more and more rapidly. The dot-com crisis, the accounting scandals crisis, um, of course, the subprime crisis, and before that, the savings and loan crisis they're happening with greater and greater frequency because the financial system is running out of um gosh i just got the word trust i mean we the people we make these arrangements we're the we are the powerful ones we, we there's no business out there that has the rules of business it's all we make it all up we the people make it all up and so if as our consciousness grows we i wouldn 't so much say we have to demand that it that it be reflected in our conscious in, in our financial institutions, more like we need to accept the responsibility of knowing that we want our financial arrangements, which are af- after all ultimately human arrangements they 're not just numbers they 're human arrangements they 're agreements and levels of trust between human beings. If we want to prosper, our financial system has got to reflect our consciousness. So I guess my answer is yes. (laughs) After after hemming and hawing a bit, I guess my answer is yes. So I imagine
0: someone listening and they say, yes, I want the financial institutions and the economy that I participate in To reflect the values of my consciousness. I don't don't feel feel very very empowered. I can imagine some. I don't feel very empowered to do that. I can go to work and, you know, be an internal authority within the business that people look up to. But how much impact am I really making? And what else can I do?
1: Another belief system question. You know, you may not feel very empowered, but you are empowered. You are empowered as a consumer. You are empowered as an investor. You are empowered as a manager in a company, but let's go through those each quickly. As consumers constitute seventy percent of the U.S. GDP, your power at your spending power determines collectively which companies succeed and which companies fail. Um, As an investor, you have the right and the Good fortune to be able to choose which companies you want to invest in, be they single in single stock investments or in mutual funds. You can choose to be a socially responsible investor. You can say, you know, I'm only going to put my money in companies I really believe in, companies who I want to see uh, succeed. And just as we talked about those conscious capitalists whose stock increases, Last year, 2009, which was the first really good year for the stock market in many a moon, two-thirds of the socially responsible mutual funds beat the S&P 500, which is the indus- industry standard. Now, the S&P 500 gained 28.8% last year, so it didn't just sit around and, and uh, deliver a 8% or something. It it delivered a very, very good return. So two-thirds of the socially responsible mutual funds beat the S&P 500. That is a pretty good argument that by making a stand uh, as an investor, you won't uh, simply be being a good guy. You'll be doing well financially as well. More and more of those consumers who, who contribute to the GNP take their value shopping. They take values like health and sustainability, social justice, spirituality, uh, with them to the stores when they buy things. And so they're looking for products that manifest and represent the values that they hold dear to them. So their heart and their pocketbook are in in alignment. So I would say, it may be an old belief system, but it's time to set that belief system to rest, that you're not empowered to change the financial system. You're changing it with every every time, every monetary transaction that you engage in is an opportunity for you to vote for consciousness in business.
0: So it seems to me that if the spiritual transformation of capitalism is going to be successful and as you've said we're only going to prosper if it is that people who are connected and committed to their own expansive consciousness, their consciousness of our collective unity need to make this crossing of the bridge if you will to say that I'm going to impact and I have an impact on the economic system and I am empowered and I don't believe things like, you know, nice guys finish last in business while I go off and pray for, you know, goodness in my life and and, in
1: other ways. Somehow there's some kind of bridge that has to be crossed. Tammy, I have devoted (laughs) the last decade of my life to building that bridge. And... um, that's what Megatrends 2010, The Rise of Conscious Capitalism, and more importantly, my audio version for Sounds True, which is like, there I am talking about it and telling my stories and telling my lessons. That's that's what it's all about for me. And um, I hope that some of the people who are listening to us will investigate the, the audio that I did for Sounds True. That's what it's all about for me. That's my life's mission, and I'm going on to do two more books that Aim to continue that mission forward. So yeah,
0: it means a lot to me. I want to make sure that the bridge is clearly articulated, because it really, it seems like you can approach the bridge from either side. So the one side, which we've talked about is getting traditional corporations to see and recognize the value of the stakeholder model and a a longer-term time horizon and things like that. So part of the bridge is getting traditional businesses. But then the other part, and this is what I'm really intrigued by in this conversation, is getting people who are committed to their own consciousness
1: increasing to see that they have an impact in business. So important. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. It is a bridge that can be approached from two sides. And both of those parts are equally important and in fact, I in my life have, have always, um, you know, been confronted with publishers, for example, who say, "Who say, well, Patricia, you can either write a business book or you can write a book for individuals." And I've always been like, "No," <laughs> but um, you know, because they're both so important to this kind of transformation. It takes it takes both, and uh, luckily, you know, we've got hundreds of brand name companies that are perfect but that are truly embodying conscious capitalism in a way and successfully and we have millions of people who are committed to this spiritual journey who very much you and I I think would would as just as you express so beautifully to to inspire them to see that these mindsets can be put aside they can be retired and that it's your god-given right if you will to experience your power in business and to experience um you know positive uh financial return and 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 retire these these old beliefs and concepts that that just don't serve us anymore it it seems like on
0: the spirituality side of the bridge moving towards I can have an impact on the economy that one additional belief system is the idea that if you're really committed to spirituality then you can't really make too much money like making money is for the greedy people and you know if I make too much money then I'm hurting other people or something like that
1: what do you have to say about that? I actually think that it's gone in a curious um, opposite direction that um, some elements have um, distorted aspects of prosperity consciousness. Prosperity consciousness has is is in a big revival today, and that um, it's been marketed as uh, some kind of get rich quick scheme that you just have to sit around and um, the law of attraction will connect you to uh, enormous amounts of wealth, and that many people uh, have bought property at at the peak of of the um, subprime crisis and all all of the real estate expansion that went on then, and have fallen flat on, on their face uh and uh so both of these things are are important first of all you most certainly are limiting yourself to a very small life if you believe that it's not good to have money and and i actually think that that while those belief systems remain that gradually slowly more and more people except that if you want to have beauty, if you want to have joy. I was very wealthy personally at one point in my life. The best part of being wealthy was not the stuff I had. I had an extremely beautiful home that was in Architectural Digest. The most wonderful part of being wealthy when I was, was never having to worry about money. That accelerated my love of life. I could have more fun i could be more joyful i could be generous with my friends i could have be surrounded by beauty it was a wonderful wonderful blessing to have so anyway it's definitely um i invite anybody who who has those negative feelings about about money to to wor- do some inquiry and to explore those possibilities um just so they can more joy and happiness into their life. It's not about this stuff.
0: <laughs> no, And it seems to me like what you're talking about here are two different kinds of distortions that you yes. see happening in the quote-unquote spiritual community mm-hmm. at large. One is this, we could just call it poverty consciousness, which right. I think you just addressed. Right. But then the other was this weird distorted, prosperity.
1: Distorted prosperity consciousness. So what consciousness. is, just
0: in, in, in a nutshell, what is distorted prosperity consciousness in your view, and what is a kind of healthy, genuine... I want to have the kind of financial freedom that you just described. What's the difference?
1: I think that um, the distorted brand of prosperity consciousness is when a, a lot of it stems from not being willing to look at your own shadow. A lot of spiritual people, well, you actually you you described it really well. Project all of the greed onto the rich people, and don't want to accept the fact that it's an aspect of the human condition. And so while many people who are in poverty consciousness are are never going to be attracted to prosperity consciousness, um, some are, some are, and some do. And um, they fail to um, examine the shadow element that's in all of us and project it onto the rich people. And um, lo and behold... You know, they get caught up in the real estate scams, the con men. I think that spiritual people and and religious people sometimes don't want to look at the shadow, and that can lead them into into great trouble. And also, a lot of spiritual people, just a simpler, a much simpler factor is a lot of spiritual people just aren't sophisticated about money.
0: Now, Patricia, just as a final question, here you are. You're the megatrends lady. (laughs) You predicted the rise of conscious capitalism. It sounds like you think that's going to keep rising and become a more apparent megatrend.
1: It's going to become mainstream business. What else do you see? You know, Tammy, I have to say, I'm, th- this megatrend has got me in its, in its hands. I mean, the next two books that I'm going to be writing about are are, are continued in this same journey. So... Oh, I must say, this is this is the one I like to focus on. People say, well, shouldn't you apply all of this to education or or um, some other thing? And I'm like, I'm, I've kind of got it for business. I kind of like love this story. It's a story I don't want to give up. I want to explore it. Oh, well, actually, hmm, you got me there. Once I finish these next two books, I want to write about spirituality. Um, and uh, a lot of people have written about... The seasons of the year as um, the seasons of our lives, but they haven 't really done it from the Celtic and the feminine tradition, and so I want to write about the seasons of the year taking into account um, not just spring, summer, winter, and fall, but the subtle things like winter solstice and condalmas and spring equinox and beltane and and how all of these energies. Represent uh, cycles of our life. So yes, after business, I'm going to do the great follow the great Hindu tradition and go in in my in my later years, should I ever grow mature and old, <laughs> go quite in full into spirituality.
0: Does that mean that you're leaving the megatrends behind, or is it that you see this delving into spirituality as a megatrend itself? The latter. Wonderful. I've been speaking with Patricia Aberdeen. She is the author of the book Megatrends 2010 and the Sounds True audio program that accompanies the book and shares with you the main key themes in Megatrends 2010, the year that we're in. Thank you for being with us, Patricia.
1: My pleasure, Tammy. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. You always come up with the best questions.
0: SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening. Oh,